Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday and welcome to the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, I've got not one, not two, but three guests on The Big Ticket. First up, the morning show star, Mark Duplass. He's talking about shooting his first scenes with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston on The Morning Show. Then my friend Diane Guerrero, she's back for season two of Doom Patrol and opening up about her returning to therapy due to her work on the show. And then last but not least, Darren Chris. I've known him since the Glee days. Today, we're chatting about his starring role in Ryan Murphy's Hollywood, his Quibi show royalties, and so much more. It's all coming up on today's supersize edition of The Big Ticket. Stick around. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Mark Duplass is an actor, writer, director, producer. He wears many hats. His most recent project, The Morning Show. He stars opposite Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon as the producer of their morning news show. I talked to Duplass from his home in Los Angeles just as the city was put on lockdown. Well, but still, you know, it's new times. We're figuring it all out. (laughs) It is crazy times how are you holding up i'm doing great over here thank you for for asking i am uh i am very well aware that i am living uh the life of the privileged in this scenario that i can stay home with my wife and my kids and we can afford to quarantine thank god and um we kind of jumped on really early on the shelter in place uh and we've been you know, we've been doing our best in it. My kids are doing remote schooling. They're seven and 12. So a portion of our day is, is taken up with help with that. But um, that has been not as difficult as we thought it would be. And then um, I've been writing a lot and just trying to use that time to stockpile some projects uh, for, you know, a non-rainy day. And, <laughs> um, and then there's been this lovely little silver linings that, you know, we, we cook every meal together and we, you know, I'm sure you've heard some of this as you've talked to people, but we, we've been watching like my children's patience has gone up for the kinds of movies they're willing to watch. That's so nice. like we watched Castaway, and my, and my seven-year-old was like, this is my new favorite movie. Two and a half hours of just some dude on an island. <laughs> Like she loved it. <laughs> so, um, so there was that. Yeah. How are you at homeschooling? Are you a good teacher? Um, the, the truth is our teachers are doing a pretty good job with it. Um, my, my math skills are just about to run out on my 12 year old. <laughs> She's just about to surpass like what I remember and what I can do. Um, and, um, and then with my seven-year-old, um, she's very much like me. She's hyper diligent and um, she has a ton of willpower. Like uh, everybody always asks me, like, how do you sit down and write so much and write so fast and stuff? It's just, I just have this innate thing where it's like, I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want it hanging over me. I want to get it done and I want to be able to move on. And she was just born with that. So, you know, she gets her worksheets and she comes to us at like 1130 and she's like, I'm already done. <laughs> so that's just one of those things that just the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So how many scripts have you written since you've been in quarantine? Um, all right, here's let's, let's dig in. Let's get into it. Um, so um, a lot of these projects haven't been announced yet, so I'm going to keep them um, nameless, but um, I've written a, a um a rewrite of a feature film that I have in development um, that wasn't too hefty. And that was, that was good. That like broke the seal for me. That was like, Oh, you're going to be able to write 
in this emotionally fragile, strange state. Um, and more importantly for me, who, you know, I don't make this a secret. I have uh, dealt a lot with uh, anxiety and depression throughout my life. So this is a this is a kind of a dangerous uh, time for somebody like me. Um, so I have to be very careful about scheduling myself. And so I've made writing a part of my schedule from like, mm. you know, about, about, I get like a three or four hour block every day of it. Um, and, um, and then I make sure that as soon as I'm done writing, I go right to, down to my, I have, um, a treadmill in the house. So I go right and do my exercise and I try to get like at least 15,000 steps in to mm. beat, beat back the feelings of, oh my God, I'm not a good enough writer. Oh my God, all that stuff. And just get the endorphins to kind of like crank it out. And then like, not super proud of this, but, but, but Katie and I have been like drinking a little bit more. <laughs> like we have like, like probably two beers or two glasses of wine a night to kind of like take the edge off and like allow that ritual to wash away the day around like four o'clock when we start <laughs> cooking and, you know, listening to all the music we used to listen to in our twenties when we weren't quarantined. So we can feel like that, like a lot, you know, bringing up the like pin back and the Mojave three and like the, the shoegaze and indie rock is in heavy rotation in our kitchen right now. <laughs> and, uh, it almost feels like I'm back in my old Dickies again. Um, uh, you know, and then we, uh, and then we cook and then we pull up some kind of, uh, you know, weird eighties or nineties movie that our kids haven't, Senior, we did the money pit last night. Doesn't hold up. The money pit. The money Whoa. pit. But I was like, that, you know, was that Shelley Long? Shelley Long and Tom Hanks, who have zero chemistry, they are struggling. They do not like each other. Like you watch it, you're just like, oh, these two are not having a good time together. So now we have to talk about morning show. Oh, dude, what a what a what a tease! Just what we okay, we so literally I- just I shot one day. And then one day and then pulled the plug. Yeah. And obviously you have no idea when you're going to go back to production. I have no idea when I'm going to go back to production. I am specifically not asking anyone over there because I know all they're getting all day long is when are we going back? And they're in no way equipped to answer that question. And I don't (laughs) want to put any more stress on them. (laughs) So I'm just kind of just trying to do my part. Um, And, uh, you know, if our whole part in this pandemic is stay home and do nothing, I'm also trying to do that same thing by not bothering them. Um, how did how did how did they let you know that it was like, guys, we got to go home? This yeah, you know, as su- surprisingly as big of a machine as that production is, for those you can imagine, we've got all these massive movie stars with all their big agents and attorneys and production <laughs> companies and this. It actually functions quite friendly and loose with the information on set. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm very lucky that they were pretty upfront with me of like, come to set, um, make sure you feel safe. If you don't feel safe, you let us know. And I did. And we were all kind of like, it was just (laughs) in that weird point where we didn't know what was right or not. Um, And then uh, that night I was supposed to come back the next day and they started texting me being like, leave your phone on because <laughs> it may not be happening, you know? And they were very, they were very upfront. And I was really happy with this, very upfront with the confusion of it and the not knowing and just, and they shared all of that, um, which is mm. just like, it's a weird thing in this business. And I don't know if you see it on your end about like um, information is power and some people like to hold on to it and wield it, you know? And that <laughs> shit pisses me off. I just like, I hate it. Um, and I try not to do that. Um, and they, the, the, so the morning show was really good about that and, and sharing it with us. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pretty high up there in the TV news business. Mm-hmm. And he said morning show gets it. He said it's one of the most realistic depictions he gets. Of wow. Craziness of, you know, obviously there's certain things that aren't. But he said he really feels like someone was you know, did their homework and they really yeah. made sure that what could be realistic has been realistic. That's really good to hear. I mean, you know, they definitely had consultants on set and I was able to talk to people in terms of the logistics of uh, what the communication flow was like. But in terms of like researching down to the nitty gritty, they were pretty clear that like, look, 
it's kind of arbitrary as in terms of how these producers might behave and stuff like that. So that's kind of up to you. Here are the buttons you press. Here's the channel of communication. This is what the room looks like. But beyond the couple of hours of that stuff, there really wasn't that much to go on, you know. And I have heard that from a bunch of people that, you know, they said, you know, with Chip, you really like kind of were able to embody the just inherent day-to-day stress of what that's <laughs> like. And and so your base level is already 85% stressed out. And then the bombs come on top of that, you know, which I guess to a certain degree I understand as an independent producer. So do you like Chip? I, I do like Chip, you know. I think that he's different than me. And he says some things that I think are a little archaic in terms of like what what men should and could say and, and be in, in even 2020. He's one of the better people on the show in terms of his moral center. Um, but I remember there's something he says in episode two, and I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember it, but it was something to the tune of when he's talking to to Mitch, played by Steve Carell, like, yeah, is there an overcorrection going on right now for men? Are we paying for sins of like things that we didn't do? You know, I remember reading that and being like, oh, I'm going to throw up when I have to say this line, <laughs> you know, because like he kind of is a little bit of a moral center. And I found that very interesting about Chip, that he could at once be someone whose moral compass is more aligned to center than most, but still off. And I like that. Were you surprised when, um, and I don't know when you got all the scripts, but were you surprised or when did you learn that it was Chip who really blew everything up? They told me that early. And I think the reason they told me that early is um, a great old producer tactic that I've used on my end, if I'm just being candid, which was like, hey, I know you're only number five on the call sheet, but your ending is going to be awesome. So <laughs> it was a little so bit was of it a sales tool. Ego thing. It was an yeah. ego thing. I think so. Wow. I think so. And I liked it. Um, I'll be honest with you, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, But I think that it was helpful for me to know that because they were rewriting the scripts as we went, as we shot. And so it was helpful for me to know that that was my landing point. And it allowed me, I think, to push Chip and be a little less likable, a little less um, morally centered uh, throughout the show, knowing that that was going to be the landing pad. That, that made me feel more comfortable to do that stuff, you know. So tell me about your first scene that you shot with Reese. Okay. Um, first scene I shot with Reese was, um, I believe it's in episode two when we're in the hallway and she's yelling at me we shot that actually before the scene that comes before it and I was nervous because I hadn't spent a lot of time with her personally yet um we have a lot of mutual friends um and I knew Jen Aniston and Steve Carell a little bit before this but I knew Reese the least and I also had like a huge crush on her when I was like 15 after I saw her in Man in the Moon, it wrecked me. I was in love. It was a whole situation. So I was just like, I had a lot going on into this. And I, and I wanted to like do well and be impressive. And as everyone knows, a walk and talk in a hallway, it's usually not a very cutty thing. You kind of want to get it right. And you got, you're worried about your blocking. Are you going to block the camera? So I was a little bit in my head. And our first few takes were okay. Um, but I remembered feeling like, we were doing that thing that happens in a first take on uh, on a lot of sets, which is like we were each being respectful of each other and clearing way for the dialogue so we didn't step on each other, you know? And it was stilted. And so I just asked her, I was like, should we just do one where we're just like, just on it, you know? And, and then as soon as we did that, it like broke it right open. And I was like, oh, there it is. Here we are, you know? And she started throwing out all that stuff, but Charlie, Chip, whatever the fucking flavor, your ice cream, your name, you know? And, and it got all loose and... And it really started working. So first scene with Jennifer Aniston. Oh, God. Okay, so um, this was great. Um, the scene where we are um, on the phone in my office uh, with the two bosses after we're dealing with, you know, this whole fallout situation. Um, and I remember there wasn't written any interaction between us. We were just supposed to be kind of there listening and when we got to the table read of this scene, I remembered someone, I can't remember who had the idea that like, there should probably be some sort of nonverbal communication between them. And I was like, 
that clicked in because Jay and I, when we're on conference calls with studio executives, we always try to be together so we can write notes to each other or communicate to each other to get the <laughs> messaging right as it's going over the phone. And I'm so versed in that. And it's so funny, like how desperately you're scrambling to get it all right. And you're like telling people to shut up. And so, so I remember we started to dial that stuff in and then I wrote a little note and passed it to her and they decided not to even show what the note said, which showed that we had our little interaction. So that also had its own special. There's a little. It's weird. I'm talking about this now. I haven't really talked about this. Like, there's a little bit of magic that happened on that on that set in terms of like mm. um, the chemistry, you know, and, and even with with me and and Billy Crudup, who I I did not know before this, but um, you know, we had such a little love fest, a little romance with the two of us, and the way we played together, and it was just it was it was great. I miss it. Billy plays evil well. Oh, God, he's so great. And, you know, what's so great about Billy is, um, I mean, is there a more, like, handsome, suave, like, just well-oiled machine of a person ever? And he is so goddamn neurotic and so insecure. And he'll be the first one to tell you this. It's so adorable to be around him because he's he's got his headphones on in between takes, trying to make sure he's got his lines right, trying to make sure did I get it right? He hates himself after every take because he thinks it's all bad, you know. And I mean, and you'd think it was like false modesty, like the false modesty of the right. James Bonds of the world, but it's not. Right. It's totally real, even though he is well, James Bond. It's incredible. Well, do you do you bring over? Go look. I'm number five. Yeah, you're not dude, number five. Look, my ending is really fucking cool. But I'm I'm Cinco over here, so we're good. <laughs> um, and do you know everything that's going to be happening in season two? I don't. In fact, I'm very uh, become very close with with Carrie Air and our our showrunner. Like I, when when I say close, I mean let's be clear. I mean movie set close. I mean we don't spend every day together, but like you spiritually align with certain people after you spent this kind of time together. And so she's um, she's very open with me about um, you know what is done and and what is not, and she in the best way um, they really spent a long time thinking about what season two should be before they put pen to paper, you know, because she felt and I think we all did, which is like this story kind of came to an end kind of landed there's a version sure of this did. thing that's like well we told that story let's move on and if we're not going to reboot this or tell it in the right way we shouldn't do this you know and she has a high level of integrity uh with that so so basically um i know about about half of what's gonna happen and i got the first two scripts and we did a big table read with them um but beyond that, I think that, um, you know, I think I think Carrie would never say this publicly, but I think that this time to spend more time writing and dial it in might be a little bit of a gift, creatively speaking, to the show. Were you surprised there was a drug overdose on the show? That sort of took me, that I was, it, it was a little bit of, I guess that's what it should be, it's a drug overdose and someone's yeah. dead, but it was, whoa. Yeah, I was surprised. When Morning by that. Show first started, I didn't expect to see something. Yeah, like that. yeah, I was surprised by that, and I was surprised because um, I, you know, again, I don't want to sound hacky, but I, but I am a producer, and when you've got someone like Gugu, you're just like, whoa, you're gonna let her go? <laughs> she's <laughs> she's really awesome, and we want her, you know. Um, but um, but you know, I, I I have to say, like I. The morning show, as much as I'm talking about how much I enjoyed it, enjoyed my process, it's very different from the kind of art that I make or try to make. It's big. The storytelling is grandiose. The uh, the dialogue itself is very like, um, you know, the turn of phrase is very important where I'm just like improvising all over the place in my stuff. That's Apple TV Plus. And then last night I'm scrolling through Quibi. And there you are. There I am. Dude, creepy. Yeah, it was, it was a little crazy. Not crazy, creepy. Yeah. That was creepy when she jumped into the car and you start making out. I'm like, oh. what is going on here? Yeah. How'd you, how'd you get involved with that project? So um, I know 
Jeffrey Katzenberg a little bit, and we had been talking about maybe doing some projects for Quibi, and nothing felt quite right. Um, but he, you know, was like, "Look, we'd love to just have you be a part of what we're doing here, and in some way." Um, and so, you know, frankly, that he thought that, of you right away. <laughs> yeah, and he thought of me right away. Like he's like, "Listen." Who better to make out with someone half his age in a car in the nineties? Um, and and, and I, P.S. P.S. He's the teacher. She's the student. He's the teacher. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's even it's even worse. Um, yeah. And uh, and that shirt, ooh, the denim shirt, Jesus. Um, and but, the boxers. Uh, and the boxers. <laughs> yes, that's good. Uh, <laughs> I think you're really making me realize all of these things. I think that <laughs> I had compartmentalized and now you're pulling them out of me. Yeah. I think that you're, yeah. Th- those are boxers. I think it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good um, shame session with my therapist on Zoom who I've got coming up on Monday. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, part of that, part of wanting to do that project was um, I, um, they had this role and they're like, look, if you come up, we can shoot you out in like two days, do like all of this stuff with you and, and the efficiency of that, you know? Um, and I really liked Becca, our director, um, who's really smart and I'd wanted to work with her. What do you think about these 10 minute nuggets though? They're just, it's going to take some time to get adjusted to. So I haven't watched any of them <laughs> and, um, Love that sh- business strategy. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so much for business strategy. Haven't watched them, and I don't like. Uh, I don't really like watching stuff on my phone. To be perfectly honest with you, and as he's talking about the thing, he did exactly. Me. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm just listen. We can't be that strategic in a quarantine. I got to be honest, at least. <laughs> um, and plus, you and I have talked too many times. I can't fake it in front of you. You just you, you would know. Um, so I, I really don't know. Like, I, I'm assuming that, like, you know, um, there is a certain group of people who are so excited to be able to just have something that's dedicated to their phone and, and in that way. But right now, I'm home. I've got 42-inch televisions around my house. That's where I'm going to watch my stuff. So I haven't dug in yet. Mark, thanks so much. Stay safe. Okay, Mark, you too. Take care. Bye. That was Mark Duplass. The morning show is available on Apple TV+. I'm going to take a short break, but when I come back, I'm chatting with Doom Patrol star Diane Guerrero. Find out what she's telling me about returning to therapy. I'll be right back. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I first met Diane Guerrero when she was a star in Orange is the New Black. She now plays Jane, a young woman with multiple personalities on Doom Patrol. Hi. How are you, honey? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. How are you? I'm great. I'm yeah. I'm I'm like I'm exhausted, but like I'm just excited and passionate and sad and overwhelmed, like all at the same time, because this is such an incredible time. I think for all of us. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm almost like rediscovering myself. Mm. No, it's (laughs) interesting. No, but talking to a lot of artists, talking to a lot of creatives, you know, there's something that's happening that as much garbage and hard times we're going through, there's this energy and there's this, um, inspiration to be Mm -hmm. creative, to, and I don't know if it's because we're all emotional, maybe, and that's right. all those chemicals are swishing about. Um, sure. I mean, this is like our, like, you know, our defense is to yeah. is to pack ourselves with love and knowledge and to unlearn and relearn. Right. 
Um, I think that's like our nature. Yeah. So, so tell me, how are you do? How are you doing before the world? Well, the world is to shit to begin with. But like, how <laughs> how are you doing in quarantine? Those stay at home orders. How'd you cope? You know, I was really fine because you know I I've like I have a home, and I have a community that cares about me, and I have you know I had a job before before um, the, the everything sort of um, stopped. So, you know, for me, it was really great. I, I, I recognize that that's not the same for everyone. Um, but I was, I was doing fine. It was a little scary. Um, but I think that for me, honestly, I feel like, and I said this to my friend the other day, was like, honestly, I've been through so much shit. I'm like, what, what's the next thing? <laughs> you know, like keep them coming. And it's just, it's just been a wild time. And then obviously, you know, everything else that went on, we'll get to that, but let's talk about Doom Patrol first. Sure. How much fun is it being on this show? I mean, it's like every kid's dream to be on a show like Doom Patrol. It really is. It's like, <laughs> it's like every time we're, we're shooting, I feel like I'm in like an obstacle course from like, you know, in one of those Nickelodeon shows back right. in the day. Um, it's really incredible. I feel so fortunate um, to, to work on this, on this show and to actually like my cast members and <laughs> like, <laughs> like the crew and like the storytelling. Um, you know, um, it's, it's really been, uh, an incredible time and I've learned so much about myself and my abilities as an actor and, and my, um, ability to work with others. Um, but it's so much fun. We're like suspended off things. There's a ton of goo thrown on, <laughs> at us. There's lots of weird talk, lots of like made up stuff, <laughs> just great. Talk about stretching yourself as an actor. Cause obviously Jane is, you know not one personality. Right. Um, so talk about stretching yourself and really like, what did you know about Doom Patrol? What did you know about her before you even started? I didn't know much. <laughs> Honestly, um, I got the audition. It said, you know, you have to play, you know, kind of transform into maybe five characters. I think it was on the audition. And I love that part because I, since, since I was a kid, I was, um, always experimenting with switching from one character over, over to another, but like multiple. I remember um, one of the, one of my first auditions actually that I was actually laughed at. Um, <laughs> aren't those stories great? I was laughed out of a classroom um, where I tried to um, do all of the, uh, I tried to do all of the Wizard of Oz characters all at once, kind of like switching from one to an one to the other so from like the you know the cowardly lion to dorothy to the tin man mm -hmm. and so i remember doing that for an audition i didn't i didn't get into the theater department at, at that school um <laughs> but and and i remember a classmate of mine came over the other day he's like remember when you did that terrible audition where you like tried to do all of these characters he was like nice try buddy i'm like okay we'll see about that and so this audition i i applied the same thing and um <laughs> and I was very happy doing it. So I'm like, I want to do this. And these people are encouraging it. So I'm going to do it. Um, and it's been, it's been really wonderful. It's been letting me um, trust myself a lot more. You know, as an actor, you have to trust yourself. That's something that I personally struggled with, um, with accepting or knowing that I'm enough, that, that I'm learning at the pace that I'm supposed to be learning that, you know, that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So, um, it has been, um, really great in allowing me to, to get to know myself and trust myself. So is it, so let me ask you, we all go through this, the, you know, am I good enough? So yeah. every time you do a different personality, do you go through that again? Or are you looking at it as one whole work? I look you know at it as I mean? one whole work. Yeah, I have to look at it as a whole because I, if they, because they all stem from one person, mm, um, from Kay Chalice, which which was the little girl who was abused, and as as a as a woman that's experienced trauma, you know, it wasn't. Um, I didn't have to. I didn't have to do too deep. I, I know it is. Um, of course, Kay Chalice was sexually abused. Um, and I, and it was based on a real person. And I, I did that reading. Um, and I also, um, read the, the comic books for doom, um, which weren't just like any other 
comic book story. It was complex and really um, dealt with the human psyche in and in just a um, otherworldly way um, that really interests me because I was like, well, how come I wasn't understanding life before? And I'm like, oh, well, I get it now. This is, you know, things were sort of, um, you know, when, when, when put so rigidly, when, when we have little imagination, um, you know, we know, we know when things, when things have been developed with little imagination and that is stifling. And so being a part of this world has really opened my eyes. Um, and, uh, and, and I want to continue living in, in this space where anything is possible. And that's kind of how I feel, um, I am who, and, and, and is part of who I am and part of what we're trying to do now when we look at these movements that are going on. Was it hard? I mean, you said you didn't have to dig deep, you know, trauma. How hard yeah. is that to, you know, be on a set of a show that's, you know, superheroes. And like you said, you're hanging off of things and there's goo and it's ridiculousness. <laughs> but at the same time, that has to be tough to be in that space, to have to tap into trauma for your character. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the first year I, I was so excited to, to get into all that. And I was ready to, um, to give myself emotionally in that way and, and allow myself to express myself emotionally in so many different ways where we're taught to conceal that, right. Where we're taught to not be vulnerable um, in front of others who we don't know, who we don't feel comfortable with, who we're afraid are going to use that against us. Um, so being so open, I was ready the first year. And then the second year, it was a little harder. Mm. Um, and I, so I, I had to, I have to be in, in therapy because if I'm so open in that way, I have to, um, well, first I needed to be in therapy anyway, and I just had to go back. Um, <laughs> and the the show and the role um, let me know that it was t- that it was time. Really? Yeah, wow. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did a you, lot of unresolved uh, things that I was going through. Did you um, expect and, that at all? Is that something you even think about, or does it all of a sudden hit you going? Okay, Doom Patrol is a little tougher than I thought it was going to be. Um. Yeah. It. It it kind of, I, it hit me, um, you know, because, and that's, that's where we get, tri- where that's where we trick ourselves. It's like, oh, um, of course I'm doing this role. It's because I am, you know, and this is a word I used to use to apply to myself. I am crazy. I have, you know, I, I know what the, all of these emotions mean and I know what these emotions are on a heightened level and I'm going to be fine. This is, a, I'm a shoo in. And really uh, what it taught me is that I have a lot of work to do. Um, and which was his, which is a beautiful part of the show um, because it, it it teaches us that we all have a lot of work to do um, that that we all um, have to continue growing mm. right that that our growing never stops that um, that we never reach like this like pinnacle of ultimate maturity and 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 that depending on our circumstances and our experiences we continue and 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 how we allow those experiences to inform us um, are going to um, are going to basically predict how how we move forward and so we can't just shake it off and say well that's something that happened in my in the past sure we we shouldn't be living in the past right because the present is closer to our future we know that but we have but we absolutely have to acknowledge our past and deal with it and and talk about it and normalize it and use it as our strength and not as our weakness and that's what the show does it 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 shows you that our weaknesses can be our greatest strength so tell me what's new in season what's new in the new season um well it's it's I mean, it's dark for my character because mm-hmm. my character just keeps getting darker and darker. darker. Oh yeah, um, but it, we it, it's it's kind of uh, we leave off where we're we're all small, yeah, because we had just been eaten by a rat, a rat, a giant rat, and a giant cockroach, and we're hey, could, could um, just back up for a second. <laughs> Listen to what we're, <laughs> you just went from. All of us are holding hands. We're having a group orgasm. We dance when he said, oh, and by the way, we're eaten by a giant rat. I mean, it's just genius. That is the, that is the show. I know. That is the so show. Great. And if you want to escape into another world, you should absolutely <laughs> tune in. 
Um, so we're, we're, we're now we're small. Um, and so we're trying to figure out, um, we, we enter season two, trying to figure out how to get big again so that everyone can, um, move, you know, go about their lives. But now the difference is, is that there's a new character, um, uh, that was introduced, which is Niles Calder, like our professor dad guy. Um, his daughter, who is a very, very powerful entity. Um, she can imagine, uh, she basically anything that, that she can imagine comes to life. So, um, it can mean, um, very real repercussions for the world um, because she can imagine very powerful beings that can destroy things. Mm -hmm. And so um, she is also looking for love and wanting to be with her dad. And we're all trying to figure out um, how to protect her and also how to protect ourselves because each and every one of us are going through um, having to deal with the fact that Niles Calder is the, the professor, the, the doctor who um, basically made us who we, we are, sort of the monsters that we are, um, right. and gave us our powers. And, um, and so we're, but now we have all this new information that we don't know what to do with. And so the second season is about understanding um, what we've gone through, our past, our traumas, and, and figuring out um, how we're going to how we're going to cope with those and, and grow from them and work as a, as a team. If we want to keep this family, um, nothing else out there seems safer than the doom patrol. So they need to work together. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about DACA and the Supreme oh, yeah. Court. Oh yeah. So what'd you think when that um, ruling came down? The I doc, mean, you know, the dreamers are protected for a little longer. I mean, that's great. And it's a huge, huge relief. Um, I I want people to know that that is that DACA and and the keeping of DACA is was a complete effort by the people on the ground. Yes, the Supreme Court um, had to make the decision, but what what DACA recipients, what immigrant rights activists have been doing um, to to um, to, to further this process um, and, and what they really have been doing is self-governing and what they have done has been self-advocating. So self-governing is a, and, and, and self-advocating is a part of self-governing and is a part that the, of what the constitution values. And so that work has been put in um, and, and it's such a, a testament to their hard work that, of course, um, the decision came that they should stay longer. Now, what we need to do is, um, obviously, what we need and what they need um, is a permanent solution. DACA is temporary. Um, but what, what we need to recognize as a nation is that these people are integral to the fabric of who we are. Um, they came here looking for a better life, just like all of us did. Mm -hmm. um, and um, what we need to understand is that the system isn't is working the way that it's working. It is meant to keep people out. <laughs> and and um, what we need to do is is imagine a system um, where we are all protected. Right. And where we all can be here and thrive. So I can't help but think of Orange is the New Black when we mm -hmm. see the when we see the protests, when we see the uprising. Um, I can't help but think of Pousset. And yeah. Pousset, you know, is killed by a corrections officer who has his knee on her back. Yeah. Um, you know, we know when we watched Orange is the New Black those experiences happened before. Obviously there's a bigger light on it right now. Right, when you, right. when you look back at Orange is the New Black, I mean, it's literally, it went from Pousset being killed to an uprising in the jail, in the prison. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. amazing when I just think about the, I, I can't get that image of Pousset out of my mind. Right. I think that just tells us that we have, We've told stories like this before. We've seen this happening so much. We've seen this happen forever. I just saw a documentary on the Black Panther movement, a PBS mm -hmm. special. I forget what it's called, but it's <laughs> it's about the Black Panthers. And I just, 
I learned so much because what I was taught in school was that they were a violent organization. Um, but obviously through my own um, findings, I, I, I learned differently, but this, but this documentary, what it made me was so sad because the Black Panthers were fighting for and what Martin Luther King was fighting for, what Malcolm X has been fighting for, what all of these amazing activists have been fighting for and what people have been fighting for has been the same. Yeah, the it same. Hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. We've been telling these stories. We we saw what happened to Eric Gardner. We saw what happened in Ferguson. And and so we have been fighting for the same things. And and yet we have this image of a police officer with his knee on this man's neck. And it's like, why do we have to see this? How many more times do we have to see this to get it? Um but I, I what I am, what I am happy about is that we are all um, doing this a little differently now. And and I don't know what it is. I've heard in divine intervention. I've heard the pandemic. I've heard, you know, maybe this time people can't get away from themselves. Um, and or maybe we've organized and we've done the work and people are out there dedicated and they are. Um, and I all I want to do all I want to do is be a part of this movement. Mm. All I want to do is that. <laughs> when you see Hollywood studios um, coming out with statements saying, you know, we have to do better, Black Lives Matter. Do you believe the Hollywood studios are going to change? Will representation increase? Will diversity increase? I believe we have to hold them accountable. I don't and think it's just a one and done. You put a black square in your Instagram or right. you release a statement. I, I, I do believe that some will be, you know, in order for us to really feel change. And, and this is our jobs, right? As reporters, as media, as actors, as people in the industry, as people um, who, who watch as consumers, we have to keep studios accountable because that's the entertainment that we consume. That's what we watch every day. That's what we're entertained by. So we, the people have to decide what we watch. We have the, we have the power to say, no, we don't want the same old uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want things the way the, they've been done. We, right. we, we have realized, we acknowledge, we have learned that the old way is not anti-racist. And what we need is anti-racism and, and, and work. And we have to do that work. It's not, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a passing fad. No, this is the work that we all have to do collectively. If you really say that you are behind your Black artists and you are behind this movement, then you have to do the work. And that means hiring executives that are not just part of the diversity and inclusion board or <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean? Like, right. This means hiring people of color, uh, uh, black people, sorry, hiring black people on all levels. The decision right? and the decision makers. And the decision makers. So really, I, I think it's up to us to hold people accountable. Um, and um, and I know that I'm going to be doing that work because I'm so excited not to be um, tiptoeing anymore or, you know, hiding behind, um, you know, trying to sugarcoat or trying to make it more pal myself more palatable for people um mm. i think i'm doing that work now part of part of doing um this work is also um doing the work for myself and and finding my truth and mm. um and just trying to live on a higher vibrancy and living in a higher vibrancy means caring for others yeah yeah my husband you know um when the protests were going on and the marches he wanted to do it, but he's like, Mark, I don't want to do it until I'm a citizen. I'm too, you know, he has a green card. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm yeah. too scared. You know, he know, and he said, you know, I'd be out there, right? And I said, 1,000%. Um, so hopefully that'll happen. Um, of course. Point. Um, are you going to be getting involved with the 2020 election? I imagine you are. Um, I am going to be, but I, I don't, um, I'm going to be definitely encouraging people to vote. Right. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to endorse anyone. Um, <laughs> <Why is that? laughs> when I said endorse anyone, I thought about Trump. 
<laughs> and I'm like, can you imagine? <laughs> um, because I think that I think that um, I'd like to work more on um, civic engagement and making sure that I, I don't want to like I don't want to put someone in front of anyone um, because I just I I know what we I know what's going on. We have two choices. <laughs> Figure it out. Like, what are you? Are you on the right side or are you on the wrong side? Like, you know, you got to do you got to do the work. You know, sometimes we can't just, I mean, it, it's so obvious. We can't like always tell people like how to do it. Come on. you got to do the work for yourself. you got to do a little research. Mm. You know, if you don't know by now that, um, that what we have now is unacceptable and it is not a world for our children to grow up in, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, but the information is out there. You can get involved in any way you want. I think that my my mission is to, urge people to actually go vote and and provide that information on my social media like whenever i know that today um there's voting in uh kentucky and in new york there's primary elections um and then somewhere else i know i put it on my instagram and i will tell you that it's <laughs> new york kentucky and virginia and so to at june 23rd which is today our primary elections so everyone should go out and vote um, but I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited about what I'm starting to do or what I'm trying to get involved in on the, in the local level, you know, with, um, defund the police and making sure that, um, that I'm calling, um, my sheriff's office and seeing how that whole thing works there. And I'm speaking in very layman's terms because I'm honestly just learning about all of this, all of these, um, entities in my own city that I have the power to call in and say, Hey, I'm not okay with uh, you giving this absurd amount of money to the police department. And what, what, why is not that money going into education and healthcare and our, and our streets being um, fixed and, and all of these things that make communities wonderful and that help communities thrive. That is what I'm, I'm interested in. And so um, I, I've been learning a lot through Black Lives Matter and, um, and, and so, and here I am. Well, here you are, and here we I are. Think I am. So good seeing you. So good seeing you. That was Diane Guerrero. Doom Patrol is available on HBO Max. We're going to take another short break, but when we return, I'll be talking to Darren Chris. I'll be right back. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Darren Criss became a household name with his work on Glee. He went on to win an Emmy and Golden Globe for his work as serial killer Andrew Cunonan in the assassination of Gianna Versace. He returned to television earlier this year, collaborating once again with Ryan Murphy on Netflix Hollywood. Chris can also be seen on the Quibi series, Royalties. What's going on? Hi. What's up, buddy? How are you? Wow, you look good. Look at this. So how are you? How are you coping in this world? How did you deal with the beginning of quarantine? I mean, there's, I feel like it's been so many phases, like yeah. without cracking open the box of what's going on in the world, there's just, there's been so many things like even now, obviously this is for, this is for Variety, this is for, you know, we're doing an interview, but uh, somebody mentioned the other day, it's like, I've, I've got Zoom gloom, man. It's June. I got Zoom gloom. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm just fucking over these Zooms, you know, like first, <laughs> first couple, first month, everybody, like I had like game nights with my family, right. I was Zooming with everybody and now I could give a shit. And I was just like, I, I get it. Like we've, you know, it's the waves, you know, people yeah. had their projects they were doing at the beginning and now they've kind of let them go. Um, I will say that, um, and I'm very careful with this and I've said this in many other interviews, but um, you know, there are, for the people who are on the front lines and the people who are working their asses off, especially for the parents and for the teachers that have little ones at home that are doing like triple overtime, um, you know, who all deserve a, a Nobel Peace Prize by the time this is over because it's a Herculean effort that I can't pretend to know. Uh, you know, this is a, obviously a very difficult time for many, many, many people. Uh, my unique situation is the the back half of last year, and this is coming from a consummate multitasker, someone who enjoys the chaos of doing many things at once. Yeah, It was the most I'd ever been truly tested um, where I was doing royalties, and Hollywood, and my music festival in, in New York, along with several other, I had a song come out with Steve Aoki, uh, 
and a bunch of other personal things that were all happening at once that I'm, I'm crazy, but I'm not insane. Like I usually do all these things with a significant amount of planning to where I make sure they don't overlap. Right. Um, but via a few acts of God, things got screwed up where things started rat nesting <laughs> over each other unexpectedly that I really had almost, I threw the white flag. I, I, it was the most defeated and frustrating part. It was, it was very, very, very difficult and we got mm-hmm. through it and it's okay. But I was really, you know, tested that, that during that time. So in other words, I've been working my ass off and I have not had time to chill out at right. home. Right. And uh, I was looking forward to doing the play of doing American Buffalo in New York, right. which for obvious reasons was exciting. But another one was, oh, it'll be nice to be working on one thing in one place. That'll be awesome. And unfortunately, as the pandemic and the quarantine time rolled in, again, while this is, I, well, I would not have wanted this time at this horrible cost because I have to take it. And this is only unique to me if you're watching right. this and you're, and you're in going, through, going through it. I feel you. And I'm sending you all my, my love and respect and admiration. But for me, it has been a very welcome change of pace because I, I was really going uh, maybe maybe a little too fast have you been creative during this time yeah i mean there there's like the fun side of things like all the fun things that i've been doing and uh then there's the creative things uh and uh oftentimes the other they get in the way of each other Uh, i will say this is the first time i've allowed myself to enjoy a lot of recreational things that i wouldn't have otherwise Mm -hmm. like i ain't got time for video games like i don't do that like that's the time i could be spending writing my next thing right uh but yeah, like towards the beginning of this, I bought like a Nintendo Switch. And like, <laughs> I don't allow myself to watch TV or enjoy movies I miss. Like, I just don't do that. So right. that has been fun. Again, not having this time is nice. On the creative side, um, I'm very lucky because I was mentioning the back half of last year was so congested. Um, at least they were all in the can, you know? Right. I think people who were shooting stuff or making stuff now that had to halt it kind of have their, their backs up against the wall. Yeah. Whereas for me, Hollywood came out April, May, royalties is out now. Uh, and there are things that I, if I, I, I would be doing a play right now in New York, doing exactly what we're doing now. I'd be doing video calls from my apartment. I'd be at press conferences. I'd be promoting stuff that I already did. Right. So I am so, so, I mean, not going, I'm so uh, lucky that that was already kind of in place. So um, on the creative front, it's mostly been, uh, you know, uh, promotional and trying to get right. people to 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 check out these little things that I worked on. So let's talk Hollywood. So Ryan, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Ryan calls you. How does it happen? At what point? And when you get a call from Ryan, do you know like, okay, what's it going to be? What does he got? Well, this one is uh, kind of started us. It was something we started together. And I, before I tell you the story, I should mention that this is not one of those things where the actor's like, it was my idea. I did no, it all. Like, I obviously, I, that's not the case. Um, and I always tell people, like, I didn't invent the 40s, nor did I invent <laughs> Hollywood. These are not uh, plot structures that I, that I just came up with. Right. Um, we had a bit of a, a victory lap uh, drinks together, um, which was really, really lovely. You know, getting any kind of private, private audience with Ryan is tough because he's, you know, he's all over the place. You, th- you think I'm multitask. <laughs> he's truly all over the place. So um, it was nice just to, you know, have some dinner and let our hair down at the, ho- you know, Sunset Tower, very, very Hollywood thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and it was great. Um, I wasn't, I didn't go with any intention of, you know, putting our next thing together. It was right. just to shoot the shit and, and gab, you know? Uh, but naturally, you know, a couple of drinks in, you start going, hey, what should we do next, man? So <laughs> I remember I was about to do royalties on Quibi and we were talking about various projects and I, you know, I, I have a lot of things. The, the creator in me, um, always has stuff that I want to work on, but because Ryan is such a creative force, I never like push that on him ever, unless he asks. Um, and I think now with Hollywood and royalties, I think I have a little more license to start kind of presenting myself as more of a creative uh, entity. Um, But at the time he was just, he was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I said, well, give me like three adjectives. Give me adjectives of things that you want to work on. And let me see if there's something swimming around that in in my head that I want to develop and see if you want to do it. And he's like, I want to do something period, young and hopeful to which I immediately uh, mentioned that I had just finished uh, Scotty Bauer's book. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, there's just so much lore in the 1940s Hollywood scene. If you're an entertainment historian or you're just a fan of Hollywood, Um, the 1940s is is almost like a genre, you know, Mm -hmm. where there is like a canon and there are tropes of, you know, do you hear the one about so-and-so? Do you Mm -hmm. hear the one about this? Some are maybe a little more apocryphal than others. We don't know if they really happened, but they're, they're, they're like urban legends that we hear about. And certainly Scotty's book kind of goes into that a little bit. Um, there's books like, like Hollywood Babylon, to, which is also a very, a very divisive book about, well, it's not really an expose. It's sort of a salacious gossip, right? All these things, whether they happened or not, right. they have, there is this sort of plethora of, of characters like Greek mythology to, to, to pick right. from. And uh, the, the touchstone was Scotty's book simply because I liked the dichotomy of the glitz and glamour of Hollywood against the sort of murky underbelly of, uh, of a world that, that needed to thrive against the suppression of the thing that, that kept it all together, which was this glamorous veneer. Um, and something that Ryan and I, and particularly Ryan, has done throughout his career is illustrate these these really stark polarities he really loves to show the really ugly unattractive jagged things about really seemingly beautiful things and vice versa things that are beautiful heartbreaking accessible relatable to things that are ugly and and and, uh uncomfortable and so there was that that existed so brilliantly to me with the 40s that you know on top of this time that just is so so enchanting to all of us uh it's again it's like it's it's almost like a fantasy genre like it didn't it couldn't have happened it was so glamorous you know that veneer is so starkly opposed to a world that was fraught with prejudice and suppression uh and and a lot of not so good stuff so I'll, the scotty thing was a touchstone for that we, we were like there's other things in that world and i think there's something really great to explore there and then within like two days, he texted me and said, and I, he said, uh, I was just looking up the other day. I sold our show to the, I sold our, our show to Netflix. I'm like what? <laughs> you know, we were just, we were just like riffing, man. Um, which goes to show the power of Ryan. And he's like, do you mind if I do my thing on this? And I was like, what, you, what am I going to say? No, your thing is you, do whatever you want on this. Thank you for even including me. So I, it was a really, um, I, I'm very uh, grateful to his goodwill for, for extending the invitation to be an executive producer. Yeah. Um, although it was 100% his, Janet, and Ian's sort of creation. Um, I think he was just sort of honoring that initial conversation. But at no point would I say, yes, I fully <laughs> I produced this whole thing. I, I very willfully took a backseat as an actor and kind of came along for the ride. Um, but wherever there were things, you know, early on, he would run things by me which I appreciated. I was involved in a lot of the initial creative discussions. And again, I was just like, look, you're Ryan Murphy. You do your thing. <laughs> Were you ever told in your career, um, don't play up the Filipino background? No, I think it's mainly because I do have white privilege. Like I, I, this is a term that I wasn't even, even familiar with until the past few years um, that I am a white passing person with a white passing name, you know, if, if my name indicated some sort of ethnicity, maybe um, there's all kinds of things that you, you could try and bring up to, to the why of the way I've been treated. But, you know, in the way that, you know, people of color, you know, it is important to, to see the color, to uh, acknowledge the identity and the experience. It is equally important to recognize that, yes, I am a biracial uh, you know, a uh, person with, with a woman of color as my mother. Uh, however, because of my whiteness, uh, that does lend itself to a certain experience and, um, and, and therefore a, a privilege that, you know, I was very, when people started asking me about it, I, I didn't know how to say, you know, I, I couldn't possibly pretend to have gone through the same struggles that so many of my colleagues have, right. you know, that'd be a fucking lie. It's, and it's, and, and, and disrespectful towards the real strength that these people have displayed to smash through those doors, through those ceilings, you know? And that's something that I, uh, g- genetic for whatever strange reason, I, I came out looking the way I did, and, you know? I mean, I don't even look, 
the things that I actually am. I look like <laughs> Italian. There's not a drop of Italian in my in my bones. Uh, so um, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But no, I never I really had that. If anything, it was it's been really exciting the past few years to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've learned to navigate it in a, a, a totally strange way because I've had to do it publicly. But I just was never treated uh, like I was who I was, right. um, whatever that means. I don't know what that means, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But even in high school, because I grew up in a predominantly Asian American community in the Bay Area mm-hmm. um, and a lot of Filipinos. I think that was always a fun thing for me when people would find out I was Filipino. You know, Filipino friends might be like, oh, hell yeah, cool, really? Oh, then you get it. Um, well, I, lo- I love in Hollywood, in Hollywood, you in, Brit- in the show Hollywood. Yeah. You're sitting on the couch. And you're like, yeah. oh yeah, by the way. And you know, she looks at you like a lot of people. Like, like what? What? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And you know, I got to give due credit to Ryan. He really wanted to include that in the story. And oh, wow. it was not something that I uh, thought about. I, 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 maybe because we had just done it, I, not done it as if it's like a party trick, but right. when we, you know, uh, the, the half Filipino thing was such a big part of the Andrew Kunanen story. Right that um, it just didn't occur to me to be a thing that he wanted to include in this story. But what I think what was so good about it is you have so many different people, kinds of people that are represented in the show. And there's, there's a lot of people that aren't like, you know, it's uh, uh, Latin X folks, Middle Eastern. There's a lot of people that we, we don't have for whatever reason, not by conscious choice, but I think it was important to make sure that as many different uh, kinds of people were represented. We have, an Asian American woman who is a real person with a real tragic story. Uh, then you have obviously having Daniel and you have at least for the fictional characters, we had people who are struggling with their homosexuality, with their queerness, with their blackness, with whatever things that, that served as obstacles for them that we would have been almost a missed opportunity to not include a story about a guy who is half Asian. You know, what does that mean in that period of time? So I'm glad that he included that um, because it really kind of tells as many uh, stories as, as you could, you know, um, and it, it only had more positive ad value. Um, so I'm glad that he included that. Royalties. I, I was mentioning how last year was one of the most congested times of my life uh, because I had I was doing both at the right. same time. And uh, the things that I'm proud, there's so many things about royalties that, of course, I would have loved to do differently, as is the nature with all projects you have. But royalties specifically was tough because it was such a long gestating passion project of mine that um in the same year i found out hey you're gonna exec produce a show with ryan murphy (laughs) and you finally get to make that show and so when we were going to do it all was was kind of tough so i think the um the the wolf of overzealous planning got was in the sheep's clothing of genuine uh can-do ambition we can do it guys which is to say that we had to we had to make the whole thing in a very small window of time right. uh, between the writing of the songs, producing, I did 10 songs, 10 days. Pre-production was so short. Amy Heckling said yes, very close to when we started shooting. She had less than a, a, a pleasant amount of days to, to do pre-production. And when she got to LA, she was, she was told that she also had to prep 10 music videos, everything bottlenecked. We did way, we had way more to do than we had the time or resources to accomplish. Um, which if you're a fan of uh, my previous sort of work with Starkin, which is my theater company from college, we, we've always operated under that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So there's this kind of scrappy can do fuck it. Let's just do it live attitude to what we did with royalties that, um, you know, does make its way for some really fun, weird, interesting stuff, but we had to do it so fast to get it done before Hollywood. And I was mentioning earlier, there were acts of God that had happened where it started to bleed over and they're on top of each other and uh oh boy it was it was really tough there was like a sprinter van with an editing bay in it that would come to set on hollywood to where i'd be shooting a scene on hollywood and then i would go edit music videos in the van for like 20 minutes on my break and then go back to shooting hollywood i would be clean shaven on hollywood then i would go to the royalty set with a fake beard to match my my beard that i had to shave for the show and then I'm flying to Vegas, of course, to do these shows with Steve Aoki. So it's just, it was just insane. And again, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I love that stuff, but boy. And I saw you and your wife were at the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests. Why was yeah, we've been to a few. Yeah, we've been to a in, number of them. Why was it important to, for you to be there? Oh, I mean, well, first of all, I should say, you know, we, pes- we tested positive for the antibodies. 
which I know is a very divisive thing. People feel very uh, one way or the other about them. But, um, you know, we, we were also very sick early on uh, mm -hmm. when we were quarantining and we had all the symptoms that were similar to, to COVID. So I'm sure the people are watching this that are kind of shaking their heads, but um, so you think you're maybe they're the same spot. We're almost positive we had it. Um, mainly because we had every single symptom listed possible for the amount of time, for all the things we both had it. And then we quarantined for you know, over a month. And then once we, we were like, I think we had it when we tested positive for the antibodies, people say they're fal false positives, but I was like, I, I'm pretty sure this is for both indicative of, of, weird, yeah. of what we had. Exactly. There's too many things that are a little too close. You don't have to be a right. genius to maybe put that together. Who knows? But we were uh, pretty inspired by that. And, um, you know, Activism has always been a big part of me and especially my wife's life. And uh, there's only so much people can do right now. I think, again, about those parents or people that are maybe too young or can't get out of the house. There's so many different ways to be involved in this, um, especially on the internet. There's the streets of the protests and the streets of the internet. Like I, I look at the streets of the internet, I'm so inspired by all these young people from all over the world, not just the United States, that are so proactive and, and staying up to date and sharing information and, and uh, letting, especially people with platforms, lending their voices to people that uh, you know, really deserve the microphone right now. All that stuff has been really great. So for me, you know, it's very important for me to be at these, because my, my, uh, my weapon of choice in activism is, is my, my interaction with people. Um, I'm not very gifted at the, at the social media phone thing. I wish I was. If it came more naturally to me, I would try and do it more. But um, you know, being at the protest does mean a great deal to me. I kind of had to cancel a lot of things to go to law. And now I've been to a number of them because I've been traveling because we were seeing family again, once we had the antibodies um, I've been to protests in both sides of the country, New York and LA and in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful thing to witness the sort of togetherness that I think is amplified by the fact that we've been separated for so long, right. but there is such an emboldening feeling of what it is to be with people um, across all ages, across all backgrounds. And, uh, and and really observing, you know, this very important, again, tectonic shift in, in the world right now. So why is it important? Because it is important. Like it's sort of a rhetorical question right. because it's important. And uh, I would I would be very upset if I if I couldn't be there for a lot of them. It's it's uh, like I said. There's it, it is a heartbreaking time, but like all good storytelling, it only gets to be heartbreaking if there is a solution that isn't being met. So if you get on the side of trying to find a solution, working towards that, that is an exciting thing. You know, those, those protests are so encouraging um, that uh, it, it really kind of it fuels a lot of the things that I do. Thank you, Darren. It was good seeing you. Thank you, Mark. See Likewise, you. man. That was Darren Chris. Hollywood is available on Netflix and you can find royalties on Quibi. And that's it for today's supersized big ticket. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode with guests Henry Cavill and Betty Gilpin. Stay safe and be well. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.